Yeah, yeah, we've been a little delayed, but now is the time where we finally find out what we've been watching, at least at least some of us. Yeah, we've got uh, Dave in Kentucky, we've got Chad Bowers, we've got Frank Edward Nora, and we're going to start things out with Doc Slees momentarily. Of course, I am PQ River, just in case you didn't notice, and uh, yes, just wanted to take a moment and uh, give uh, a little apology for skipping a week. Uh, we missed a week. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm entitled to a little break, but I know, blah, blah, but it, it just messes up the whole continuity and the rhythm, And uh, but we're back, and uh, we will be doing lots of cool things uh, through the holidays and oh man there's going to be some special stuff coming up so uh, keep your eyes and ears on the ONSUG Overnightscape Underground site our uh, Facebook page uh, often will uh, alert you if something interesting is going on as well there um, yeah, we've got a lot to get to because I'm sure all of us have been watching a lot of cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, as I said, we're going to open this thing up with a little Doc Slees, and uh, let's do that right now. What have we been watching? Hey, do you know, I have an entire podcast, <laughs> yeah, entire show that seems to be increasingly dedicated to uh, to discussing what I've recently watched usually some offbeat obscure stroke sleazy film or films and in fact if you'd listen to the uh, most recent one which okay i don't know really has because you know it is pr- i'm proud of the fact it's possibly the least listened to podcast on the web uh, <laughs> um You'd know um, some of what I've been watching lately in order to produce that particular episode. What I've had to do is sit through episodes of House Party. Yes, Bloody House Party, which, if you don't know, and there's no reason why if you didn't grow up in the south of England in the 70s as I did, you wouldn't necessarily know what House Party was. House Party was a daytime TV series produced by Southern Television, which was the ITV franchise holder at the time for the south of England. And basically, House Party has a reputation for being possibly the most tedious (laughs) TV show ever produced. And having had to sit through several episodes and in order to cull excerpts from it to uh, to use in that last show, I can tell you it truly it can be mind-numbingly inane. However, however, it's something even as a child, and I didn't know much about these things, struck me as being different and innovative, and it still is. It was the format, basically. In a way, it was a chat show of sorts, but with no stars or anything. Basically, the setup was that we came in, you always came in partway through the conversation, you know, the title house party would come up, then you'd hear a doorbell ringing. We'd be there in, I'm, 
I think it was pretty clearly a, a, in a studio, but a studio, you know, made up to look like the interior of a house. Because remember, right, you never actually saw any windows, views out of any windows. <laughs> but always we entered and when well, I assume it was the dining room, because there's always middle class, mainly middle aged, not all, but mainly middle aged ladies sat round this dining room, what looked like a dining room table, drinking tea or coffee. And we come in right in the middle of their conversation. I mean, sometimes they'd be doing things like, I don't know, one of them get a sewing machine out and be demonstrating some dressmaking to the others, or they have some ornaments they were discussing, or sometimes they had no props, they were just talking. We come in to the middle of it, and there's like no host, nothing like that. I'm assuming it wasn't scripted as such, it's, it's mostly improvised. And they just prattled on. <laughs> you know, it was like being trapped in a... In a one of your, if your mother had such things, um, one of your mum's coffee mornings with exceedingly boring friends and neighbours. <laughs> Which, of course, was the point of the break. And then it would, you come out of that conversation, suddenly we'd like be in, in the kitchen where a couple more of them were in the kitchen. we drop into their conference. Usually they were, they're making something. Most infamously, infamously Mary's chutney, though. <laughs> Which... Which Alexa, I've gotten that episode of, of my show, is Mary's Chutney, in which it became becomes a game of one-upmanship between um, these two women with Mary, who's doing the cooking, keep on um, clearly point scoring by asking its cherries the other about, you know, oh, you don't have a pear tree in your garden, <laughs> you know, because she's making pear chutney, as if you know. <laughs> It's commonplace to be able to take, because, you know, this is the way of using up those pears from that pear tree. <laughs> she goes on this little ad, so you don't have a quince tree either. Yeah, because we all like quince trees, you know, not gardens in the 70s. You know. <laughs> Funny enough, we did have a pear tree uh, <laughs> one time. I do remember that. Although I don't think my mother ever made chutney <laughs> from the pears. And... You know, what I love with that clip is the way it was at Cherry, the other one, um, is feigning complete disinterest in everything Mary's saying, as Mary's clearly point scoring against her, you know, because uh, Cherry always came over as, as a rather forceful character who um, would take control of conversations and things, and, uh, and suddenly she found herself on the receiving end. And, um, yeah, oh dear. But then it would go back. We we cut back to to the dining room, and maybe someone else had joined the conversation then, and we back in the middle, of, and the conversation would have changed by then. And then eventually, the because although it filled a half hour slot, in reality it only ran about twenty one or twenty two minutes, because there'd be adverts and announcements. There'd be no commercials during. There'd be commercials and announcements both before and after the program to make up the additional eight to nine minutes. And um, it would just fade out in the middle of the conversation, the conversation still going on. Yeah, the little bit of theme music would play. They'd be told who or everybody had been in the episode. And then, you know, that's it. <laughs> we go into, you know, usually Brian Nissen or uh, Christopher Robbie. Um, they were the, the two top Southern TV continuity announcers who actually unusually used to appear on screen, which is very unusual for any TV 
continuity announcers at that time. And they just start telling us what was on later that evening. Yeah, and that ran five days a week for godness how many years. I mean, the episodes I looked at were mainly from 1981 because that was the year it ended. And it ended only because Southern Television lost the, the, um, the franchise, lost its franchise and replaced by TVS. And um, House Party ended. And so a lot of people started recording it those last episodes throughout late 81 and quite a few of them have found their way onto onto YouTube now <laughs> where you know um, it's built up this reputation it's afterlife as being this incredibly tedious program yet people keep watching it I don't know why as a kid I used to sit through if I was home from school at that time. You used school holidays. God knows why. I think it's the thing is when we're children, we'll sit through any rubbish sometimes. It always just seemed to be on, you know. My mother only watched because she professed to hate these women. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. I used to watch it while she's doing the ironing, as I recall. Sort of half watch it. And I used to, you know... But what's interesting, the other thing that's interesting, I mean, I see that format was fascinating. There's still nothing else on, I've never seen anything else on TV quite like that. I mean, I'm sure someone will correct me that somewhere, somewhere, there was a similar format. But to see that, and particularly in a cheap daytime TV um, format, yeah, slot, it's quite remarkable. <laughs> But um, it's interesting what it tells us about what TV executives at the time thought were daytime viewers. Clearly, they thought, well, certainly here in the South, they assumed daytime viewers would be middle class women of old enough, at the youngest, to have children at school. The school acres is put on about two o'clock in the afternoon. So during term time, that would have been um, yeah, that would have been a couple of hours before school came out. Because you know, these days they finish at three thirty. In my day, in my day, we we didn't used to finish until um, quarter to four at the earliest. Four o'clock usually school would finish. Lessons would finish. But they start earlier these days. They start at some ungodly hour, like, you know, 8.30 or something. You know, we didn't start till usually 9 o'clock. <coughs> but that's what they assumed um, their daytime viewership was made up of primarily. Because all ITV daytime programming, afternoon programming particularly, was aimed at that time at that sort of demographic. And, um, yeah, I mean, House Party was, as I say, it was produced by Southern Television. And the daytime schedules, the afternoon, well, daytime schedules back then on TV were very different. In the mornings, it was schools program, programs for schools, educational programs on both BBC and ITV. 
except during school holidays when you had kids' programmes on. But then in the afternoon, the BBC used to go off the air at one time in the early 70s, sure, in the afternoon, it would only come on again when children's programmes started about four o'clock. And, um, but ITV obviously decided quite early on that they would fill this void and steal a march on the BBC by putting on these daytime programmes. Southern Television were notorious for basically their owners just used to, they own the franchise to rake in the advertising revenues because this is one of the um, wealthy, certainly then it was one, one of the wealthiest, seen as one of the wealthiest areas of, of the UK so they could charge very high rates um, for their advertising, you know, place ads and the advertising breaks in, in prime time. But the way ITV worked, it was a, it was a, it was rather, it was modelled on a sort of US affiliate sort of thing, whereby in prime time they had a joint schedule, although they had opt-outs within that where different regions could opt out. And um, different regional companies. And, and, but at other times, like when they had daytime TV, there was considerable flexibility on the part of the regional companies as to what they showed. So Southern TV being cheapskates in terms of program making, in order to um, meet their commitments to producing programming for the network, used to produce these really cheap, a lot of them were really cheap daytime program formats of which House Party was one of the foremost and longest running because it uh, it was carried by a lot of, not all other regions, but a lot of other regions carried it as well. They also used to, other, it used to be filled up partly also with quiz shows produced by other regions, uh, soap opera, cheap soap operas, some of which Southern used to make. Um, and Southern TV also used to make a lot of cheap children's programming as well. Let's say they, they, they had, a, had a commitment there to fill of producing a certain number of hours of network TV, and that's how they did it. And you've got to admit, House Party is an incredibly cheap format. As I say, it ended in 81 uh, because Southern lost the, the, the franchise, replaced by TV. But within 10 years, TVS had lost the franchise to another company called Meridian. And I think it was Meridian actually tried to revive the House, House Party. They obtained the rights. And they tried to revive it with like an all-new cast and everything. But it, it never... It's time had passed. Yeah. Um, Taste and daytime TV changed by the 90s. As I say, it was, it's, it's this interesting. I mean, it's very inane, the level of conversation in it. It would drive you mad if you try watching episodes back to back. You know, I, I challenge anyone to watch an episode of that without fast-forwarding through parts of it. Um... But its format is fascinating. It really is. But um, talking of um, the US system of affiliates and you know, networks on top of affiliates, local affiliates who carry network programming at certain times. Another thing I watch a lot of... Uh, <laughs> But only on Saturdays. There's a Roku channel, the, the B Zone, 
that I, I, I have. That stream on, on um, it's a continuous streaming channel rather than an on-demand channel. And it's part of its regular Saturday schedule is a block called a programming called and no network would buy them dedicated to first run syndication shows. Uh, <laughs> I mean, of course, the most famous, the best known first run syndication shows was undoubtedly Star Trek The Next Generation, and uh, which was syndicated in, do- in order with Paramount to avoid the problems they'd had with networks with the original Star Trek in the, having a following but not big enough for a network being axed. Baywatch was the other one from series two after CBS dropped it was syndicated. They produced it as a syndicated program with international backing because of its popularity overseas. In fact, the UK's London weekend television became one of the main um, financiers of later series of Baywatch. There you go. But there's this whole horde of other cheap and cheerful shows they put there. They have my perennial favourite, um, Small Wonder, which seems to show continuously there. Um, the show with which I have a mild obsession uh, <laughs> because of its... Oh, I just love its inconsistencies. The, the lack of continuity even between episodes. <laughs> it's true. I'm, clearly it was aimed at, mainly at children. But nevertheless, um, it's like... And the way, you know, they keep giving differing explanations as to why it is... I mean, you know, if you don't know what Small Wonder is, and you must... Uh, it's about a robot, a little girl who's actually a robot. Her father's a robot. father, in inverted commas, is a cybernetics engineer, and he wants to see if it's possible to bring up this very sophisticated robot who's made in the, in, in the form of a small child to bring her up as a human child and see if she can be imbued with human attributes. Uh, which is an interesting premise, but it's very inconsistent. And, and of course, the problem is, of course, that when it starts off, she's meant to be, to look like a 10-year-old girl. And um, the problem was, of course, the 10-year-old girl playing her very rapidly became an 11-year-old, then a 12-year-old, and finally a 13-year-old girl. And it became increasingly obvious. You know, she got taller with it, with, with every season. Even within a season, she got taller. Uh, her hair changed. She clearly got fed up with having her hair straightened. And it went curly, you know, which really a robot's hair shouldn't really do. Just as they shouldn't grow. And they gave the, all these differing explanations. It differed. From episode to episode, according to plot conveniences, as to why she appeared to age and grow. <laughs> you know, because you know, I'm afraid in the in the in the, in the last episode, later episodes, when she the kid, the kid was 13, so Tiffany Brissett, the actress, you know, and it's quite clear she's not a little girl anymore. You know, and she was quite small for her age and a late developer, but it's still pretty obvious she's not a little girl. You know. <laughs> And a robot in the image of a little girl certainly shouldn't have changed that change to look like that. Anyway, <laughs> it's always a mild obsession. Like and also the fact of whatever happened to all the bloody, um, like the kids who appeared in it. And um, I, actually, I actually found out, I did some research, you know. Uh, one of them was still an actor. The, the annoying little girl from next door is still an actress and uh, an agent, actually, some... 
agent and I think in drama coach. She's still in the business. But the other two, the one who played the, the girl robots, real life brother, you know, flesh and blood brother, he uh, he had a very bad time. He lost all his money um, he'd made and ended up living under a, under a road bridge for a while. But apparently he's doing a lot better now. And uh, the little girl who played the robot herself, always fast because she seemed to vanish about age 18. She appeared in other things. Then at 18, she vanished. And eventually I did find out about her. You know, I did, I did some... Had to do a fair amount of research. She um, she basically just decided to leave acting. She had enough and she went to university and eventually found a vocation. She studied law and found a vocation eventually as a nurse. She retrains as a nurse, which she does to this day. And she's got the stage now, apparently. She simply is fed up with talking about having been a small wonder because um, she still gets asked about it because it's, it's always continuously showing somewhere. But she's just fed up with answering questions about <laughs> I don't blame. Oh, this small wonder show. It, it really sounds like something that at certain points in my life I would have just been fascinated. I, I've gone through these half-hour sitcom phases where I, I would just live for them. And I don't know. I, I, what happens, I think, is I burn myself out. But that just sounds like just everything fun and wrong with an ongoing series and dragging something out that probably should not be extended or should have been thought you can't make children anything that needs to remain in a fixed position it's been tried and tried and uh, yep the results are rather awkward at best especially girls i mean they start getting bumps places and things start poking out and I mean, boys, it's a whole other thing. Uh, they stop fidgeting. Yeah, we, we all know. We, 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 we need not review the miracle of puberty right here. Although that does, that, that would make a wonderful Overnightscape Central topic. The miracle of puberty. Oh, I can hear it now. Maybe we'll do that next week. We'll have to ask the Anunnaki. But uh, yeah, we'll get to that uh, a little later. Um, and Doc is just such a valued resource that last show, his shows are just marvels of things that uh, even if I couldn't possibly bear watching them, hearing somebody talk about it with such enthusiasm and zest is that it's marvelous it really is and uh, i do take many of the tips um it's like that show i forget the name that, that the people who review movies like steven seagal movies and they do it in a half hour with clips and i'm not watching a steven seagal movie so uh, it's perfect for me it's and maybe that's what's taken the place of the sitcom now that I think about it, that half hour format. Because for me, it's like that eight minute or so format, that longer, you know, half hour. And then, of course, there's the uh, eight hour Jim Shooter interview that I watched not too long ago. Jim Shooter being, uh, he was. Uh, one of the youngest people ever to write comic books. He started writing Legion of Superheroes stories when he was like 14 years old. And uh, he's been a controversial figure. Uh, in uh, Marvel, 
you either consider him the guy who got the trains back to run on time and uh, saved Marvel from collapsing into nothing back in the late 70s, early 80s, or he's a horrible person with no respect for artists. So, yeah. But the interview was was really good if you're a comic book kind of a person. Speaking of things that we're watching... And uh, getting a little meta, yet the number of listeners that we may or may not have at any given time, or when you put a show out right away, it's just always so strange because it it moves in odd ways. And then you go over to archive.org, and some of those pages have a remarkable number of quote-unquote downloads. So there's that. And... I don't know, does it matter how many? I mean, if three people are listening and they're really listening and getting anything out of this, I'm, I'm fine. I, I did my part. I don't... It's the, the idea of millions of listeners. Are they paying attention? Are they really... I don't know. I don't know. The house party also, that sounds... Speaking of things... Doc finds. I I'm going to have to uh, do a little research. I got it written down here because House Party. That really sounds like a marvelous clusterfuck. If you pardon my French, uh, there just for a minute. And uh, yeah, for all of us, uh, it, fifty uh, pre-cable guys. Anybody who existed before uh, you could just make a phone call and the cable was there and you hooked it up. And it it became like what was done. Before that, you had an antenna on the roof and whatever that thing picked up, as good as it picked up. I mean, it's the expectation of this clear, wonderful reception and picture that exists now that, that that just did not exist and yeah guys like frank they lived right by new york city so yeah reception might have been i was up in the catskills and i've watched and listened to radio i mean things were just barely there between like static and fuzz and what they used to call snow on your screen and the resolution when it was perfect wasn't that great oh man it, 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 it will you stop the boomer from and when we went to school we had to walk in the snow 10 miles each way in the freezing dark cold oh but the limited choices as a kid did make for i agree with doc it made for some interesting decisions of viewing and he'd watch stuff because you I had, what, five channels to choose from. And at certain points, especially daytime TV, if you were homesick or it was a holiday, there wasn't very much to choose from at all uh, certain hours. And you you made your choice and you watched it. And I don't know, the human mind finds interest in the most remarkable things when given the opportunity. Anyway, but there are other programs in this, which I, I, I surprisingly enjoy in, in this um, block of syndication, because some of them feature actors who later became very well known, in, in contrast to the kids that were in that one, the young age, because most of them, I say, uh, these were children, kids, shows aimed at kids for adolescence. Another one is Breaker High, which is a Canadian made series, 
which is basically set aboard one of those. I don't know if they still exist. You used to have those educational cruise ships, which would be full of students who they won scholarships to spend a, a, a sub, so it's just a semester. Sometimes it's an entire academic year aboard these ships cruise where they, they still receive their lessons. But they got to visit other countries and experience other cultures. That's it never left the studio. There were every week they're in a different country, but it was all shot in the same studio in Canada, as were all the ship scenes. <laughs> no, they had some random stock footage of a liner, you know. Um sometimes in harbour, sometimes at sea. But it's notable because the lead young person in it is a teen in late well, he's in late teens by then, is uh, Ryan Gosling, interestingly. Um, long before he was a Hollywood star. But but actually um, showing some of the charisma that would help him become a star later on and playing again as he tends to do um, a more offbeat sort of leading man he's not always entirely sympathetic in his role in, in, uh, in Breaker High but he makes, you know, you never he plays the part well enough and cleverly enough, you never with enough enough charm that you never ever really dislike him. But he's not as like a convention, not a jock or anything like that. Um, yeah, he's the big breakout star from it. The guy who played his chubby sidekick, whose name I can't remember, is also still around. He's not as big a name, but you see him a lot in supporting roles in films and on uh, and on TV in in. in um, in you know, quite prominent TV roles often. So, you know, a couple of them did well out of that. Another one, another Canadian show. A lot of them are Canadian first run, these first run syndication sh uh, juvenile shows, is My Secret Identity with a very young Jerry O'Connell in, I think it was his first starring role, long before he was in Sliders and in supporting roles in all manner of other films. He's, um, yeah, he's a teenager who, I said it's filmed in Canada, but you're never quite sure where it's meant to be set, whether it's meant to be set. It's just vaguely in North America, you know. <laughs> it could be Canada. It could be the United States. We're just not sure. I mean, they never specify for reasons of, um, hey, for reasons of box office, for distribution purposes. But uh, he, he, he's, a, he's a teenage kid in this town, um, North American town, who, oh, he lives with his mother. I can't remember if she's divorced or widowed, but anyway, the father is never mentioned with his mother and his, his little sister. But his neighbour is an eccentric scientist, aren't they always, who's always inventing things. And he's friends with the guy and he inadvertently gets zapped with a ray, some kind of ray the, 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 the doctor's experimenting with, which turns him, which gives him superpowers. He can fly and later he gets super strength as well. And of course, he decides being a comic book fan, that he's going to be a superhero. Except, and that's what I like about this series. It's not quite that simple as he finds being a superhero, especially when you're 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 only you're still at school, and you know saving the world 
really isn't on the agenda. You know, um, in the end, he 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 finds it's easier. The best he can do in using his superpowers while still keeping his identity secret, you know, not, re- not revealing to the world that he has these powers. It's only him and the doctor next door know. Um, he's down to, you know, like he's, he, he really is your local neighborhood, not Spider Man, um, <laughs> in that he has to deal with local problems like vandalism or break ins at the school and this sort of thing, or school bullies, and that's what he deals with. <clears throat> That's what he finds he has to use his powers to deal with. Because, you know, it's the truth. You, you just don't find that many supervillains to combat, even when you do have superpowers yourself. And it's a likeable series. Again, helped immensely by um, by Jerry O'Connell. Again, deliberately, again, he, he like Ryan Reynolds in Breaker High, he's not always the most sympathetic of characters. But... To be fair to O'Connell, I mean, that's the thing with, with O'Connell. He has a lot of charm he brings to the role. And in the end, you can never really dislike him. And he always turns that things turn out right in the end. He always, in the end, does the right thing. He's a typical teenager, you know, and often he's driven by his hormones as much as anything else or, or peer pressure. But he always ends up doing the right thing. You know, it's a, it's, it's a pleasant suit. Around for three seasons, it's, um, you know. Those are the, the three of my favourite, but before leaving this subject, um, some of the others they show. Uh, oh, this this learning the ropes, another Canadian shot with oh, I can't remember Lyle El Elvazard, what's that, was it? He's a he's a former American football player, which you know so means nothing to us in the South Atlantic. Another eighty series. He is a highly unlikely high school teacher. And vice principal who by night is a masked wrestler but he he doesn't want his school principal or anybody at school to know he does this on the side it was notable because it was produced with the cooperation of, of, of the national wrestling alliance at the time so you get actual real life wrestlers turn up playing themselves um you know every so often um you know Rick Flair turns up in one episode, for instance. You know, they turn up playing themselves badly, uh, and also his, his teenage son is played by Jan, Yannick Bisson, who, as an adult, has become better known for playing Detective Murdoch in the Murdoch Mysteries, and was also the love interest for Aurora Tea Garden in the Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries at one time. See, I what? Yeah, I know. I watch a lot. Daytime TV crap. Uh, <laughs> uh, I must be, you know, it took me a while, actually, completely digressing. Uh, Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries. It took me a while to figure out why she looked familiar to me. And of course, they finally looked at who was playing Aurora Tea Garden. She, she, Cameron Candace Bure, who I remember as Cat simply Cameron Candace. And I just remembered her as a teenager in Full House. So there you go. It's a. Uh, as an adult, I did I didn't recognise her, but then I sort of I thought, yeah, she yeah, she's obviously the the kid from from that. Just obviously, that was a long time ago. She's you know she's grown up now, and apparently didn't do a lot of cocaine along the way like the girl who played her sister. Uh, <laughs> but the that's another story. Um, 
so yeah so that's it. but um another one that shows out of this world uh, you know, which features the voice not the image the voice of burt reynolds is the absent alien father <laughs> again another teenage girl yeah, he's a father and mother's an ordinary earth woman, and but she has certain because of her mixed heritage, she has certain special powers she must keep secret from everyone except her mother. Also features Doug McClure, who was a god to me at one time, you know, because when I was growing up, he seemed to be in every other TV series. I always remember in The Virginian that he was an old man, he was in a series of William Shatner, he co starred at one time, and um, I think it was called Barbary Coast. And he was in everything, and he was in all these films at the land that time forgotten, at the Earth's core. <laughs> you know, he was this. He was he was like a B movie actor of his day, even though they weren't really making B movies anymore. But he was still doing it, and he was great. He was good fun. Doug McClure. He always played the Doug McClure character, <laughs> but the Doug McClure character was very likable. So there's out of this world. Um, another one of these first run syndication probably, uh, it's a living about the waitresses working in um, that restaurant notable for its high turnover of cast in its early seasons also because its first couple of seasons were networked because bizarrely it, it had a first season which was cancelled it wasn't renewed then it came back as a mid-season replacement for its second season cancelled again and then after several years of those episodes the first two series being shown in syndication it was popular enough that it was revived with most of the cast as um as a you know a first run syndication and ran for at least another four four seasons is a first run syndication show probably more that's another one that shows up a lot <clears throat> and there's various others um i'm trying to think of some of that oh yeah What's happening now? Which apparently is a sequel to... It's another one of those series never ever saw, shown in this country. A sequel to What's Happening. Uh, not surprisingly. But the one that is amazing to us viewers here in the UK was Hee Haw! <laughs> Jesus H. Christ! <laughs> Hee Haw! is just mind-blowing to UK viewers. Because it's like a parody of, of what we imagine hillbilly US hillbilly television would be. Um, it's, it's it's just amazing. It really, it's not good, <laughs> but it's utterly amazingly bad. <laughs> Full of people playing banjos and wearing hillbilly outfits and you know, hee hee, telling bad jokes. Oh, talking like, but there was a huge audience, obviously, because there's a big rural audience still. And that sort of thing was, wasn't being carried, that sort of content certainly was being carried by Netflix. Though. Now, I say I'm taking the piss out of it, but it's not as if we didn't have our equivalents here. Although, thankfully, they never got whole TV series themselves. But we had acts like the Wurzels, because our equivalent to this sort of rural thing would be the West Country, the West of England, oh, from whence I come. Um, and we had like this group called the Wurzels who used to dress like a bunch of yokels and they all had West of, exaggerated West of England accents like mine, but even more exaggerated. 
and uh, they used to have songs like Ooh Ooh Are and uh, Oh You Got a Brand New Combine Harvester and I'll Give You the Key. You know, <laughs> in all seriousness, <laughs> thankfully they never got given a TV series. And there were a number of acts like that. So we had our own equivalent. But I say, thankfully never had their own TV series. <laughs> Syndicated or otherwise. But yeah, there's a little sampling of what I've been watching lately. <laughs> um, there you go. And on that note, I'll say, back to you, PQ. Oh, man, you mentioned the Wurzels. I, I, I may be the only American who has any idea who the Wurzels were. That, that Combine Harvester song, which is a song parody, for those of you unfamiliar, uh, of Melanie's Brand New Key, which was a hit in the early 70s for her. Uh, she was associated with Woodstock for years, too, that Melanie. But, uh, yeah, I've got a good new Combine Harvester. Yep. <laughs> oh, and uh, speaking of Wurzels, a Wurzel is a scarecrow, if I am not mistaken, because uh, John Pertwee, who played Doctor Who, also played a scarecrow on a children's series called Wurzel Gummidge. Oh, he liked a nice slice of pie and a cup of tea, if I am not mistaken. Oh, great shows, great times, and so much to watch. We now live in the glut era, but it, it is so much fun. I, I mean, and Doug McClure isn't it, it, the movie Humanoids from the Deep comes to mind, which to me, I mean, it's not a 60s or 70s B movie. Well, it is sort of a 70s. That, that, that's a B movie to me. I mean, he did come out of the end of B-movies. But if I'm sp thinking of this, I'll have to look that up. I could be completely wrong. And um, Hee Haw, I have a completely different perspective of growing up. I remember when it first came on, on network TV. It was on our CBS network, and it was fun. It, the one thing about rednecks and hillbillies in general, they have a sense of humor about themselves far better than many other um, groups. I mean, that that's who was watching this show for years and years before that. They had the Grand Ole Opry with a tradition of that sort of rural bucolic. And I grew up in that era where the CBS network, network TV, there were just all these shows with hillbillies and rural people. Green Acres is an incredibly great comedy show, even to today. And yeah, it's about hillbillies. Like Beverly Hillbillies, not so much. But there were just bunches of shows like that, especially, as I say, on the CBS network. And then one season, they just wiped them all off. But Hee Haw, getting back to Hee Haw, uh, it was my introduction to Buck Owens and Roy Clark. And Roy Clark, you can say what you want, Roy Clark is one of the great guitar players that there ever was. I got to hear a lot of cool music. Uh, I'll get caught up with a lot of recycled, ancient, old, old jokes. I mean, every possible 
awful vaudeville uh, retread joke. That was what hee-haw was all about. And, uh, yeah, uh, because my aunt, as I've mentioned many times, controlled the TV evenings during primetime especially. Uh, that was one of the shows she liked. So we watched it. It was, it was that simple. I mean, there wasn't any discussion there. Uh, the, the, the things we are watching. Oh, uh, to just to throw something in while I'm thinking of it. I am in the midst of watching a Netflix series called 1899. And I'm going to give you, I, I'll probably talk about it more at some point somewhere. But at this point, I will just give you that it's kind of a Victorian era try at a shipboard Twin Peaks mystery with lots of interesting characters sort of a thing, which I guess that's now done as a standard operating procedure as a format. But uh, I am well into it. I'm about five episodes in and... uh, there are still parts of it that are piquing my curiosity. So I could say, uh, yes, you should. You could uh, if you are between uh, things to look at. But that's the other thing. I mean, I don't understand people who say there's nothing to watch. And, oh, if I had 200 hours a day, I don't think I could catch up with everything I want to watch and listen to. Um, and let's just keep moving, because we've got a lot to get to. Um, let's uh, Next on uh, the docket is our very own, and the host of the Sermons Show, we got Dave in Kentucky, another expert on some interesting uh, viewings. Thanks, PQ. So what have I been watching? Well, I always watch a lot of old movies on Turner Classic Movies, but probably not as many as I used to because I'm running out of stuff that I haven't seen. <laughs> and uh, let's see, I uh, I stream the David Knight Show on D Live TV just about every weekday morning. But uh, the main things that I watch anymore are, are those... Uh, supposedly non-scripted, reality-based shows like uh, what they have on the History Channel, the Travel Channel, and the Science Channel. Um, they're all parts of that big Discovery Channel conglomerate, which includes Discovery Plus. But I don't, I don't bother with Discovery Plus. Now, I say these shows are supposedly non-scripted <laughs> because, frankly, I have my doubts sometimes. Uh, and just because they're reality-based doesn't mean that everything you see on these shows is real. They're kind of like the news in that regard. Based in reality, but not necessarily true to reality. Sometimes they might tell you something that's true, but other times it'll be totally false. Just like the news. <laughs> Ancient Aliens is an example. I, I've gotten a, several good leads for my... Uh, um, sermon series off of that show, but there are also times that it's just utter crap. I have to force myself to watch it just on the off chance that it, I, I might miss something important if I don't. 
It's almost like they're trying to discredit their good information by mixing it in with a bunch of obvious nonsense, which seems to be a popular propaganda technique nowadays. <clears throat> I recently went through all the uh, Ancient Aliens episodes I had on my DVR and deleted a bunch of them because I didn't think they were relevant to the uh, biblical stuff that I'm currently interested in. And I needed some space to record the entire Yellowstone series, uh, which recently aired as a marathon on Paramount Network. Why Yellowstone? Well, I recently met this girl from Cincinnati. I say girl, but she's a woman, although she is less than half my age. Uh, we met online about a month ago, and we've had mostly a long-distance relationship by uh, phone, text, and email, but I did uh, go up there to see her once, and, and she did come down here to see me once, and when she was down, she um, watched an episode of Yellowstone with me, and she told me what a big fan she was of the series. I, I'd never seen it before. I'd heard about it. Obviously, it's very popular. Um I didn't even know I had the channel that it was on until she uh, switched the TV over there. But um, when she told me what a big fan she was of that series, I just had to record the marathon, hoping, you know, maybe she'd be able to come down here and binge watch it with me sometime. At least the episodes she hadn't already seen. And it's been on five seasons, so or this is the fifth season, actually. So there's probably some she hadn't seen. And I actually thought she might do that because she'd been in the process of changing jobs. And I thought she might have like a week of free time in between jobs, but no such luck. She's uh, starting the new one Monday as I record this. I mean, by the time you hear this, it, um, it'll it already be past that time. She'll have already started her new job. She does say that she wants to go uh, on my Route 66 road trip with me, uh, <laughs> uh, which uh, may be sometime in the next year. And and the reason I think that is because right after she told me that she would go with me, I, I had lunch from a Chinese restaurant, had the Sichuan chicken lunch special with the crab rangoon, and um, my uh, fortune cookie said that my fondest dream would come true within a year. And I've been thinking about this trip for a, a long time. Now, I know I said I was going to wait until all my cats uh, went to cat heaven before I hit the road. But, you know, if she's really going with me, I'll just have to board those cats. I can't pass that up. It'll be kind of like when Lisa and I took that road trip down the Blues Highway, you know, um, Highway 61 and... And Highway 49, um, you know, there's several important blues cities on, on, on that route. Memphis, uh, Helena, Arkansas, Clarksdale, Mississippi, New Orleans. And uh, when we went, we not only went to those main places, we went to, uh, we went on a bunch of side trips, like to Stovall Farms in Mississippi, used to be Stovall Plantation, to see where Muddy Waters was born and uh, grew up and and worked as a tractor driver before he moved to Chicago and to um, 
Brinkley, Arkansas, to see the Louis Jordan home place, uh, which by then was in ruins. You know, just you could you could peer in through the window and see all just junk lying around and old toilets and stuff. I assume it's still uh, in ruins like that. I wish somebody would restore it. You know, but that was that was nice. That was a nice trip. And, uh, I, you know, I waited a year after Lisa died to start looking for somebody else. You know, out of respect for one thing and out of not really feeling up to it for another. And, and I still keep a little shrine to her here in my music room with a picture of her and, you know, it's back on the, I guess you call it a dresser, although there's no, there's no, uh, knee hole to sit at the dresser, but there is a mirror. But, you know, it, 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 I got a, a picture of her there and a picture of her and me. And in between those, the box that has her ashes in it with a little angel holding a cat on top of that and another bigger angel looking over the whole thing. I talk about angels on sermons, but these angels are both female and they both have wings because, you know, it's hard to find male angels without wings. <laughs> Nobody would know what they were, even though that would... uh be a lot more realistic and a lot more biblical. Uh, but, you know, I, I do like the little female angel holding the cat. It reminds me so much of her and how she used to hold Shirley. And, and you know, sometimes when I go out to the garage where she had her uh, crafting workshop, I, I'll feel like she's still out there. And I'll talk to her a little bit and tell her that I miss her. And I mean that. I don't feel like I'm doing her wrong or anything by, by uh, you know, having a girlfriend. I mean, they do say until death do us part, or or is it until death us do part? I think I've heard it both ways. And anyway, she before she died, she told me she uh, wanted me to find somebody else after she was gone and you know, it's kind of suspicious how I, I looked into a new girlfriend, you know, so quick once I started looking for one. And if this were to actually work out somehow, and I, I know it's against all the odds, you probably think, but we'll see. I might start thinking Lisa had something to do with it. Because, you know, she believed in that kind of stuff a lot more than I do. I try to keep an open mind, but I don't believe in the supernatural by definition. Because to me, nature means everything there is. So, you know, by definition, the supernatural <laughs> could not exist. But I do believe that there are a lot of things in nature, um, a lot of natural things that, that we don't yet understand. We don't know how everything works. And that's why both of us could enjoy watching shows about the paranormal. <laughs> and I like that word a lot better than supernatural. You know, the, the prefix para can mean several different things. One of which is beyond. So um, paranormal just means beyond the normal, you know, beyond the norm, which which seems a lot more 
uh, reasonable and possible than than uh, supernatural. Um, one of the shows about the paranormal that Lisa and I used to watch together was The Dead Files. That's the one on the Travel Channel where um, this uh, psychic medium named Amy teams up with uh, uh, this uh, retired New York homicide detective named Steve, and they separately investigate hauntings and poltergeists and other paranormal stuff and supposedly don't communicate, you know, uh, during the investigation. They, they wait until the end to compare notes and have what they call the reveal. Now, this was on for years, but I think it's finally ended now because... The Travel Channel website no longer has any full episodes available. Uh, not so long ago, I finally finished watching all the episodes of The Dead Files that I had on my DVR and got rid of them all. But, you know, after this um, Route 66 road trip became a um, more of a possibility in my mind, I just had to um, get this one episode of The Dead Files back that I remembered watching. <coughs> Excuse me. So I actually used my Amazon Prime Video to purchase something. I think for the first time. I've rented stuff before, but I haven't bought anything. I watched it again last night. It's a special two-hour episode from season 18. <laughs> See, I told you that show was on forever. It's called The Haunting of Flagstaff. Now, I think this is the only two-hour episode they ever did. You know, actually, it's more like an hour and a half without all the commercials. Um, anyway, I don't remember them doing any other long episodes like this. All the one-hour episodes just deal with one location. Well, one or two, anyway. Um, one haunting or whatever. And this one um, started out that way with them investigating some weird stuff going on at a crystal shop called uh, Crystal Magic in downtown Flagstaff. It's just a little town. Um, once they got looking into it, though, and, and, and met with some of the other locals, they found out that there were several other downtown businesses that were having a lot of paranormal activities, supposedly. So they... Um, expanded their investigation to include those. Now, if I were a cynical type person, I might suspect that the uh, Flagstaff Chamber of Commerce had something to do with this. <laughs> you know, they figured out that Crystal Magic was going to get a lot of uh, free publicity, you know, free advertising. And a bunch of the other local business people decide to see if, if they could get in on some of that action too. And there was this, well, I hate to say it, there was this cross-eyed guy who worked at the Flagstaff Visitor Center that seemed to be one of the uh, main instigators of uh, expanding the investigation. So that seems suspicious right there. Now, eventually they ended up investigating not only crystal magic, but uh, the 100-year-old Orpheum Theater, um, a hotel called the Weatherford that was built in the late 1800s, and uh, the downtown diner. <clears throat> now, I want to at least drop by all those places when I'm out there, 
But the place I'm most interested in is that Weatherford Hotel. And I want to actually spend the night there. They got some really cool old-fashioned rooms uh, with clawfoot tubs and stuff. You can check it out at um, weatherfordhotel.com. That's that's spelled like the weather, (laughs) just like the weather. W-E-A-T-H-E-R, etc. weatherfordhotel.com. Supposedly, Zane Gray wrote one of his... uh, Western novels uh, while he was staying there. I forget which one. God, he had so many of them. And they've uh, named one of the on-site bars there the, the Zane Gray Bar and Ballroom. But And it has really cool uh, ornate mirror up behind the bar. And I'd probably like to um, at least duck in there and take a look at that. But I'm more interested in the little bar in the basement. It's called the Gopher Hole. Uh, because on the dead files, they use some security camera footage of a bottle uh, flying off a shelf there for for no apparent reason. You know, jumping off the shelf, it seemed like. <laughs> so that seems like that would be a good place to have a drink before going to bed. I mean, I have seen bottles flying across the room at some of the bars I used to play music at, but there was always somebody actually throwing them back then. One other place I want to stay on the trip is at one of those wigwam motels, um, which I've, I'm sure you've seen pictures of. Each motel room is is like a freestanding teepee, but, you know, they're not actual teepees. They're not made out of cloth and poles or skins and poles. They're, they're made out of concrete and steel, and they have more or less modern accommodations inside. Back in the 30s and 40s, there was a chain of these scattered across the country. There were even a couple of them in Kentucky. And the one in Cave City, Kentucky, I think that's where Mammoth Cave is, is one of the three surviving ones. But I don't think I've ever seen it unless um, it was when I was very young. I don't remember us going to Mammoth Cave the other two surviving wigwam motels are both on Route 66. And originally, uh, my idea was to stay at the one in Holbrook, Arizona. But that's only 90 miles from Flagstaff. <clears throat> I can't have two overnight stays that close together. So now I'm looking at staying at the uh, San Bernardino wigwam motel. And you can look at that, too. It's uh, wigwammotel.com if you want to see it. You know, uh, San Bernardino is the final place uh, named in the song, uh, you know, in the bridge of the song, which details the route. Let's see if I can still play this thing a little bit. Now you go through St. Louis, Joplin, Missouri, Oklahoma City looks mighty pretty. You'll see Amarillo, Gallup, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona, don't forget Winona, Kingman, Boston, San Bernardino. So see there, um, San Bernardino is the last stop. So even though 66 technically ran from Chicago to Santa Monica. 
I figure uh, St. Louis to San Bernardino would be more manageable and more true to the song. Although the song does say in one of the verses that it, uh, it winds from Chicago to L.A. More than 2,000 miles all the way. But I can't see going all that way north to Chicago just to start. So I'm thinking, you know, head west either from here or from Cincinnati, <laughs> which used to be the Queen City of the West, but that's a long time ago. Uh, you know, head west to uh, St. Louis, which is still considered the, the gateway to the West. And I even want to go up in the Gateway Arch this time. See, Lisa and I went to St. Louis way back when, in the, in the 90s, I think. But I chickened out of going up in the arch then because I didn't feel like I wanted to be up there that high. Oh, man, this is sounding like exciting times coming up. The Route 66 trip is an amazing thing. I mean, it's going to take you, sadly, probably about three, four hours north of me, but Oh man, enjoy especially if you've got that company. Uh, that that is the ultimate in road trips, as I'm sure you've experienced. Uh, doing them alone, I'm not ever so prone to do such things. I mean, yeah, but you got somebody who's with you, and pretty much uh, on a similar track, it's gonna be golden. And I'll I've said this before. I'll say it again. There is nothing absolutely nothing in this universe like a truck stop in the middle of nowhere at two in the morning it's like landing on another planet or something there is an outworldly awesome and magical thing in my head attached to the truck stops and they are a beautiful thing indeed uh yeah but let's let's keep going this is exciting I, I got nervous about the height. I, I even had the hotel change our room to a uh, lower floor. I had such a strong feeling about it. And the next day, <laughs> we saw on the local news where the elevator got stuck up in the top of the arch for several hours. <clears throat> and some of the people that were in it had to be treated for smoke inhalation because there'd been a, you know, an electrical fire that, that, uh, that caused the the elevator to stop. <clears throat> so maybe I had a premonition or something. I don't know. That's probably just chicken. But uh, I'll say I had a premonition. But anyway, <clears throat> I figure if I can find something to see or do in every place that's mentioned in that song, that'll make a pretty good tour of uh, Route 66. Pretty good road trip. Another Travel Channel show I've been watching a lot lately is called Destination Unknown. I got into watching it because they had a couple of episodes about whether Moses was a real person and, and, and whether the Exodus actually happened or not. Um, they also had some good um, Egyptology type episodes um, back when... Uh, we had, the, I think, the 100th anniversary of, of the opening of King Tut's tomb. Um, the host for this show, Destination Unknown, is, is a guy named Josh Gates, who, according to the intro of the show, has a degree in archaeology 
and a passion for exploration. But he also has a very winning personality, and I find the show uh, really enjoyable, even even when it's about something that I'm not really interested in. And there are a bunch of those. <laughs> but they still, you know, they still um, are a lot of fun. There's also a spinoff of Destination Unknown called Destination X, but I don't like that nearly as well. Josh is in that one too, but, you know, he's like the uh, um, the chief or something, like the, the, the chief on Get Smart or, or uh, Mr. Waverly on The Man from Uncle. He doesn't do all the legwork. He uh, assigns it to others. There's a, there's a younger guy and a girl um, who investigate all these seemingly paranormal things. And one of them is a skeptic and the other is a believer. <laughs> kind of like the X-Files used to be when it started out. They both turned into believers at the end. But in uh, Destination X, the guy is the skeptic and the girl is the believer. <laughs> and I, I was a huge fan of the X-Files. Um, <laughs> I had a big crush on Scully. Lisa even uh, um, dyed her hair to match hers at one point. But, you know, Destination X is not the X-Files. <clears throat> not by a long shot. I watched a few of them, but now if they show up on my DVR, I just delete them. And they do show up on my DVR still. Apparently because if you record, you know, all the Destination Unknowns, you get all the Destination X's too. <laughs> weird there's also this show on the science channel called strangest things uh, not stranger things that's something totally different but strangest things it, it examines um, uh, all these puzzling unusual artifacts from the past and and um, <clears throat> offers different explanations for them most interesting one of these that I've seen so far is the one called The Mystery of Egypt's Cat Mummy. Now, you may or may not know this already, but the ancient Egyptians didn't just mummify their dead people. They mummified their dead animals, too. Some of them, anyway. Cats, especially, because cats were worshipped as gods in ancient Egypt, probably because the uh, Anunnaki who came to Earth and and served as Egyptian pharaohs, some of them, brought cats with them on their ships to keep the ships free of uh, vermin, <laughs> alien rats or whatever. Now, why did they do this? Well, human mummies were made so that the bodies could be preserved and restored to life at some future date. <clears throat> probably by extracting DNA from the preserved tissue and, and, you know, doing the Jurassic Park thing. Some speculate that the animal mummies were created so that the owners of these animals could have company in the afterlife. <clears throat> but since cats were considered gods, why would, why would it have to be just so the owners could have some company? Uh, seems to me like they would uh, deserve being resurrected, on, you know, whether their owner had been resurrected or not, which, which makes you wonder about the cat mummy that this 
Strangest Things episode is about because the weird thing is there's no cat body inside the cat mummy. No cat bones, even. It's definitely in the shape of a cat, but if there ever was a cat inside, it's somehow been removed without disturbing the wrappings. <laughs> now, the host of the hosts of Strangest Things, there are several of them, and scientific types, all of them, they think this object is authentically ancient, but fake. <laughs> in other words, they think it's an ancient fake. Um, you know, they, they try to explain this. They speculate that uh, cat mummies were sold to the public to be used as offerings to uh, Bastet, the cat goddess. But, you know, that uh, people that made these, unscrupulous uh, uh, people that made these, wouldn't bother actually preserving a cat's body and creating the mummy around it. They'd just form the wrappings in the general shape of a cat and be done with it. But I have an alternative explanation. The cat came back. Thought he was a goner, but the cat came back. Like, <laughs> there's an old song that says that. Uh, you know, and that makes me worry just a little bit. If they can do stuff like that, what if my cats don't take kindly to being boarded for a week or so while I'm uh, road tripping out west? They shouldn't get too lonely, though, since they'll all be together. They'll uh, have somebody to keep them fed and watered and make sure they um, get all their medical treatments that they need, take all their medicine. I just, I just hope I get to go and see all those places in the song and, and, and have some company with me. And... Um, either on the way out or the way back, maybe take a side trip down to Truth or Consequences and visit with uh, Mr. Ribber for a little bit. But for the most part, gonna get my kicks on Route 66. Back to you, PQ. Oh, man, that would be an interesting Ansug Summit. Oh, man, all us old geezers getting together and, and talking about the, the, the stuff, that the, the vanishing universe in our heads. Because, uh, yeah, once it's gone, only weirdos like us who are younger than us, who think the years we lived through were cool, like I think the 20s and 30s. It's, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. The, the persistence of memory, kind of, but in that bizarro, nostalgia way that unless you connect with the nostalgia, when somebody starts talking about their nostalgia, I mean, I get drawn in, but most people, I start talking about old TV shows and the stuff like we talk about here, and you want to see a glaze-over occur. Oh, it happens fast, but that's all right. I mean, they have their stuff that probably and almost certainly i mean people start talking about modern sitcoms and tv shows yeah about 70 percent of it just whoo, it's gone uh and and those paranormal shows i guess they all rooted out of things like in search of i used to watch those and maybe i ought to go back it sounds like they're digging into things i watch things on youtube like that but they tend to be these rambling five 
four-hour things done by somebody who probably has stopped taking their medication or something. But I, I kind of like that edge to Parrot. And there, there's a series on Netflix about ancient civilizations. Uh, like, oh boy, I'm not even... But, if you watch Netflix, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, uh, I'm I'm sorry. That that just I can't be crystal clear about everything all the time. Uh, that 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 would leave all the. You should do a little research, right? Right. That's that my excuse, as it were. And uh, yeah, we're just chugging along. Next up, we have the amazing, incredible. Well, the incredible, true. The, wait, ooh, hold on. The incredible true facts of space. Let's get it right. Oh man, uh, do, do you go to YouTube to the to their channel? There is a lot of deliciousness there, including you know I always say many of his uh, overnight scape central segments bear repeat listening. Well, many of them are with added visuals of course included t-i-t-f-o-s is uh, the name of the youtube channel and uh, it is always one of the things i am watching for certain and yeah chad sent us something here you never know what it could be stand back i'm opening it i've been watching yellowstone with uh, that actor from uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Do you remember that young man that uh, was in that movie uh, Dances with Wolves? Uh, Kevin Costner. He did a he did another fine film called uh, uh, The Baseball Field. If you build it, they will come. But in this new drama called Yellowstone, he plays a character called uh, J.R. Ewing. And then he's got this crazy son, Bobby Ewing. And then he's got this other crazy girl called Jock. And uh, she's a fury redhead. I've also been watching uh, Atari 50. A collection from uh, the new Atari of a lot of old Atari. 2600 games of... A wide selection of Atari 2600 sport games. About every damn sport you can think of. The professional series. Uh, these are games that are unexpected, you know. You don't know why these games would be on such a collection. But uh, perhaps somebody played them. They got a couple Jaguar games on there too. Uh, now I wish they had some other ones. Obviously, with the Jaguar, you, you've got to have Alien versus Predator. They've got Fight for Life, which is pretty horrible. They, they could have included Kasami Ninja or uh, Ultra Vortec, which is the best fighting game on the Jag by far. Some other ones, probably the best Jaguar game uh, entirely was Battlesphere, which... Uh, Frankly, I don't know why they couldn't put that on there. They could negotiate with the uh, the people that created it, and, and Atari themselves might already own it. So, 
But that being said, you do get Ninja Golf for the 7800, which is a wonderful experience of uh, Jack Nicholas meets Bruce. You know what I'm talking about, Bruce? He knew karate. Yeah, my cousin Bruce knew karate. He always running around with nunchucks. Always uh, hitting himself in the head, sometimes uh, brutally. He went to the hospital twice while he was training to be a ninja. He was also into throwing stars and have them uh, kind of on little Velcro patches all over his body. And he thought of himself as Bruce. He always called himself Bruce Almighty. And there's a Bruce Lee game for the Atari Jaguar. It's also horrible. There's a game, Club Drive, which is so horrible, it really is worth playing just because it's mind-blowing just how bad it is. If you could imagine a first-generation launch title for the Atari 2600, but in 3D... That's what this game looks and plays like. It runs at 8, 11 frames per second. The worlds you drive around in are about five times as wide as your car. And the entire goal of the game is to look around and collect these little balls that appear. One at a time. You collect one and another one appears. It... Uh, in training for this game, we went to the University of South Alabama where they've got a mice lab on the fourth floor of the Humanities Building. 10,000 mice live on that floor. And they had them playing Club Drive using the Neuralink brain interface. The rats, the mice, inexplicably they love this game. And it's probably sold more copies to these mice than it has anyone else. It's, uh, it's a favorite of the mice's. Now there's about four or five versions of Breakout on the uh, 50th anniversary, which is, which is again very appreciated. I, I enjoy the uh, Neo Breakout. That's like their new version of it. And it's got a really fun two-player where you're hitting this bar in the middle and you're forcing it to the other side or if they hit it more than you they're forcing it towards you so it's sort of a land grab the game of colonization from atari and breakout other games on the system or or on the atari 50 collection are cybermorph which uh at first glance, may look kind of horrible, but it's actually a, a really fun 3D space shooter where you're exploring planets looking for pods. And these pods you've got to pick up, and there's all manner of strange aliens that uh, pick the pods up and try to fly into you. And then there's this green lady named Skylar who says, where did you learn to fly? Avoid the ground. Portal open. 
Now, like Frank was saying on the off-ramp, I listened to a bit of that earlier today, the, the game Bounty Bob, minor 2049er. Minor 2049er, man. I tell you, you're thinking, oh, this is a cute little platformer. But here's the thing. The guy only jumps a certain amount forward. You can't control it at all. If you get up on the edge of a platform and you want to jump to the little platform close by it, if you just jump, you'll jump right over the damn thing and smash into the ground and die. If you touch anything, you die. If you... uh Slip off the edge of one of the platforms, you die. It's so damn frustrating and yet uh, so addictive to keep playing. You, you just keep doing it. And I think there's something about that reputation that uh, is lost in a lot of new games. They try so hard not to hit you with repetition that you lose out on the inherent magic of doing something over and over again until you're drop dead frame by frame perfect at doing it. You know, you got to understand each little challenge. You get to the third floor of the level and you're almost finished and you die. And then the next time you make it a little further. And then the next time you make the same mistake you made the first time you played it. And then the next time you get, uh, you know, you get, frustrated at the time it's taken and you try to take a shortcut because you're trying to get to the next level it's it's a game of brutal death but a new life is just a button press away and i guess that's why it's so addictive tempest 2000 is on the system as is um perhaps the best version of star raiders uh, i've ever played it's essentially the uh, the Atari 5200 version of Star Raiders, I think from 1982, which was a, uh, a slight, slightly improved version of Star Raiders that was on the Atari 800-400 home computer in 1979. Full 3D space combat simulator. You've got a galactic chart you go to, the ships move as the star date changes... About every half star date, 0.5 it's going to change, and then at 0.00 they're going to shift again. They're trying to surround your star bases. And now each of your star bases, you can also fly there, and you can dock with your star base and refuel and repair your weapons. And then you want to plot your journey to be the most efficient way possible because the scoring system relies on how much energy you have left at the end of the game after you've successfully killed all the Zylons. But that can be easier said than done, particularly on the uh, the commander mission or the, uh, let's see, pilot, commander, warrior. So warrior and commander missions really are the real Star Raiders. If, if you want to play Star Raiders a little easier, play the pilot. It's still real Star Raiders, but uh, not quite as many bad guys, and um, they do a little less damage. You know, but as you're fighting these ships, you got some of these ships, they look like TIE Fighters. Uh, some of them look like ships from Battlestar Galactica. 
and and then you fight the base stars, which are the enemy bases, and those look surprisingly like the bad guy battle stars from Battlestar Galactica. As you're flying around, your photons can get damaged, your ener energy, uh, your shields can get damaged. And this comes into play because when you get really good at this game, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to turn the shields off and you won't even turn your attack computer off. Uh, you got attack computer tracking so it'll auto-switch between the front and rear gun stations. I'm telling you, this game, there's moons you can run into. It's, it's absolutely uh, amazing. It's an amazing game. So check it out. It's worth 50 bucks for Star Raiders alone. Because what they're giving you for the first time ever is an overclocked version of Star Raiders. And the fights in the higher levels are just button-mashing perfection. Uh, you are whipping your joystick around with some amount of of celebration and fury and uh, and when you get that third photon to fly on top of the other two that big kind of knockout punch that I love in Star Raiders now also on the 7800 um, you've, you've got a game called uh, Junkyard Dog which, in my opinion, the version on the Lynx is much better. And there's three or four Lynx games, which, you know, again, I wish there were more. There's Beach Volleyball. Um, there's Asteroids, Missile Command. But I wish they had Battlezone 2000. I wish they had Dracula. There were so many good Lynx games. Checkered Flag. Same with the Jaguar. Like, Valdezir Skiing and Snowboarding is a really fun Jag game. Um, brutal sports football. It's a cartoony football game, just like a, think of a better-looking Genesis-level Madden with polished-up graphics, higher resolution, higher frame rate, but you have special attacks and you're a bunch of Viking-slash-mutant animals beating the hell out of each other on the, uh, on the gridiron. You know, there's a lot of reasons to own a Jaguar. And, and now that the uh, big PM, PEMU uh, emulator's out, you can really uh, get great Jaguar emulation. You know, probably the best version of Doom on any console. Um, Wolfenstein 3D is also quite good on the Jaguar. Battle Morph, that's the one I meant to get to a second ago. That's the, the finest... 3D space flight battle game ever made, perhaps. Uh, it's not just you fighting against one alien enemy. There's actually five alien factions fighting amongst each other, and depending on how you do in battle, sometimes they join together to turn against you, and sometimes you just join in the fun as several of them decide to tear apart one of the other races. It's a lot of fun. Another great JAG game, Power Drive Rally, overhead rally game. It's kind of like a micro-machines game, but again, higher quality. The, the graphics are really with the Jaguar for the most part on these kind of games. Imagine like 
the better looking uh, Amiga games. You know, in fact, there's a lot of Amiga games being ported over to the Jaguar now in the homebrew scene. Uh, Gods from the Bitmap Brothers being one of the newest. Those were available on Atari Age, by the way. Oh man, we've been watching uh, this this really pretty 25, 30 year old girl, um, but she's playing the part of Wednesday Adams. And Tim Burton directed this. It's just great stuff. Wednesday, I wholeheartedly recommend it. It's on Netflix. You probably already subscribe, or you can get a friend uh, to give you a login. So do check that out. It is worth your time. It's like an incredibly good 10-hour Tim Burton film, and I just know that you're going to love it. One of the other games I've been playing on the Atari 50 is uh, the arcade version of Asteroids Deluxe. There was Asteroids in 79, I believe, and then Asteroids Deluxe came out in 80. Higher frame rate, more varied enemies on the screen, slightly different looking ship. Usually you see it in the arcade, and it's got the, uh, the physical background using that ghost effect with a mirror so that it's matching up with the uh, vector graphics. You know the vector graphic display used in Asteroids that made it, that gave it such a unique look. Well, I've talked about this game, in fact, on a past episode when I was talking about the uh, Frisco, Texas video game arcade, the uh, National Video Game Museum, that has an arcade that uh, I used to drop by a couple times a week, and they had uh, one of these consoles of asteroids in. It was tuned to perfection and just a joy to play. You know, just flying around, you can remap the controls. So playing all this on the Switch is particularly enjoyable because for a dozen little reasons, I will tell you that the, uh, the Switch is superior hardware to most other systems. It's just plain more enjoyable to play. There's something about the quickness of the interface, the simplicity of the store. When I go to Microsoft, and, and I did this you know, with Relative recently, I talked about it, I was looking at the Microsoft Xbox, and just navigating their menus is such a drag. Like, it really makes you feel kind of shitty. It's kind of like, there's something about PC gaming when you're like looking through files to start a game. It's just kind of crappy. And, uh, you know, some game systems like Xboxes make it a lot better because you have these tiles that you're hitting. But the thing is, is that the, the experience of using it, maybe it's the system sounds, maybe it's the speed. Nintendo pays attention to those things, all the little details. And I would happily give up some graphic fidelity. Of course, that's not the case with any of these Atari 50 games. There's a lot of overhead left, you know. I do like the fact that the new emulator, the uh, Big PM emulator, which, uh, Big PMU, I think it's called, it allows you to go in and change the frame rate, change the speed of Tom, or change the speed of Jerry. Uh, these are two of the 64-bit chips in the Jaguar. 
uh, or independently you can change the speed of the memory bus so you can usually find a way to improve the frame rate of a game it just depends on which processor they chose to use to uh, to kind of drive that part of the system that was the the real hell of the Jaguar and the, and the reason most of the games ended up looking kind of like slightly better Amiga games except for of course you know the real standouts but the reason was that it had a Motorola 68000 in there as well and that's a very capable chip particularly with a lot of memory for the time so it was really easy for people that just wanted to get in and make something that worked just to code it on the 68000 and, and maybe they'd have a little bit of sound work or sound effects work going through the DSP or the 64-bit blitter. But other than that, they really were not using the system. I think Battlesphere, Alien vs. Predator, Tempest 2000, these are the games that were starting to get somewhere. And I, I think that it's it, probably safe to say Battlesphere was the... Uh, the finest coding of any of those games because you had to write these to work simultaneously over five different processors. So writing for the Jaguar was kind of like trying to optimize five different processors sharing the same memory bus. And uh, unfortunately, because they left off a few cache commands on some of the chips, you had a lot of memory collisions, which effectively lowered the speed. Um, and then further troubled by the fact that the system was truly designed for Garrard-shaded flat polygons. And they usually tried to sneak some texture mapping in, which was just beyond uh, what the Jaguar could do if you wanted to keep up a frame rate, run enemy artificial intelligence, uh, run subroutines in the backtrack keeping up with what had happened or, uh, you know, or other processes happening at the same time so it's a hell of a thing now the one of the amazing features about that is the doom which was so well done again probably the best console release was on the atari jaguar but john carmack programmed that himself and he spent one weekend with the atari jaguar and start to finish had doom running on it uh and then that's all he was contracted to do and he thought ah what the hell? I'm going to throw uh, Wolfenstein on here as well. So he provided Atari with two completed games after uh, basically a weekend of work. Which just shows you that parental distribution, you know? The, the person out there that's the best at something is so much better than the person that's number two. And then the person that's number two is so much better than number three. And then you get this long tail of losers, and that's where the rest of us fall in. It's kind of like sports stars. There's Michael Jordan, which is amazing. And then there's everybody else. You know, Musical artist, one guy makes a million dollars. The number two artist makes 100,000. Number three makes 10. And, you know, the rest of them are, are doing it because they love art. This is the uh, this is the normal distribution that appears all throughout nature. It's not just human endeavors. It's how seeds land on the ground. It's how uh, germination rates favor some plants in some positions other than others. It's 
It's just one of those observable traits about this reality. And we can pretend it doesn't exist, but then we also pretended that IQ doesn't exist. And, uh, you know, that worked out pretty good. The humans all died, but they were left with perhaps one of the finest odes to Atari I've ever found. And uh, I guess if I could say one thing to you, I'd say you ought to go out there and get this uh, Atari 50 game. And then while you're at it, get the uh, big PMU Atari Jaguar emulator and check out for yourself what the... Uh, the big cat could do. All right, back to you, PQ. Oh, these th- those old old games. I mean, even up to yeah, the Jaguar. I that I had a friend who had a Jaguar, and that that was a fun handheld device. Although at the time it was at, it was just far too dear for me to possibly consider purchasing. Uh, Using somebody else's, however, was a great joy. I mean, that thing, if nothing else, it it would eat the most incredible amount of batteries in the short, and even if you were using rechargeable ones, you really probably needed many chargers and three or four sets of batteries that you were constantly rotating. And yeah, if you were going on a road trip and expecting that thing to keep going for any length of time on batteries, if you were going to be buying a lot of batteries, or you had to get one of those things. Remember the things? Remember car lighters? They don't even make them anymore. Just, you used to have a thing you'd shove into that little tubular car lighter attachment on the dashboard, and they never used like a substantial wire for these. No, no, no. It was always this like little paper thin, you breathe on it the wrong way, and it's going to have a loose connection type of wire. Uh, oh, just the tortures of the damned, really, and there's no other way around it. But you're talking about the real video games. And and I don't think I didn't notice uh, that Yellowstone has now been mentioned twice. That there's something to this. Although, at the moment, I'm a little Kevin Costner shy. Uh, for years, I've wanted to see The Postman. And I finally ran it past my eyes. And it started off... Uh, and Oh, boy. This is this is a man who may have many uh, charisma, some acting talent, and other things, but letting him direct himself. Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. Anyways, that that was that. Um. Uh, that whole ninja era was so great. I mean, I, I I consider myself privileged to have lived through that era where, like, Bruce Lee was still alive and he was a hero. And all those kung fu movies were just, at the time, the, the coolest thing ever. As many as would come to our local theater, which weren't many. But once in a while, they'd get a couple. And there I'd be, watching these terribly made films. Oh, and thank goodness for Wu-Tang for any number of reasons. But they have a channel on YouTube where there are all of those terrible and more kung fu movies than you've ever seen on kung fu theater back in the day. Are there uh, 
there's just something if you like bad film it's its own specific and wonderful world genre of awfulness and yeah there's very little good about it that that much i will say but i enjoyed it i enjoyed being part of that whole era and uh, speaking of video games, uh, I started playing Watam, W-A-T-A-M, which is made by the same guy who did my all-time favorite video game, Katamari Damacy. Um, this is a little different. Is It's more like his other game, which was only on the PlayStation 3, Nobi Nobi Boy. The object is to make friends and I've only played a little bit of it because it's so goofy and I guess it's sort of fun if you're used to manipulate I, I am just so clumsy at getting used to the interfaces of just moving around in a video game I mean I just, just to walk from point A to point B around three objects I'm like with the WASD buttons Ugh. and I know at a certain point with every game I hit the necessary adeptness but it's that learning curve and feeling so clumsy and like, ugh, I could just watch somebody play this too but and the nice thing about Watam is it's kind of episodic. You could play it for a few minutes at a time and then close it and then play it for a few minutes. And it's just really goofy. I've, I've, it's just totally, totally stupid, goofy, silly. And yeah, everybody needs more of this. And Grim, Grim PQ River here. I bet. Uh, playing stupid, goofy games would be almost therapeutic. It just ease up, EQ. Just have some fun. I mean, I've, I do really enjoy. You get to be this the mayor character of this world that you are slowly you start off alone, and you are meeting new quote unquote friends. And uh, your gimmick, so to speak, is when you uh, press one of the buttons, you tip your hat, a bomb falls out and explodes and blows you and anybody near you up into the air, and everybody lands and laughs hysterically as if this was the most fun that anybody ever had. That's the kind of game Watam is. Just in case you were wondering. And speaking of somebody who's both into games, films, and everything else, the master maven of the Overnight Scape Underground, Frank Edward Nora, has some things to share with us, so uh, let us not delay any further and listen together. You might think that by the year 2022, we wouldn't still be watching so much television, but you know, that is the case. I mean, what would the other forms of entertainment be? I mean, you think sort of like um, virtual reality movies. You know, I remember when I went to those VR meetups, there was a, a lot of talk about a new technology to uh, create movies, but that were in 3D, right? So that you put on the the, the, the 3D glasses, the go the VR goggles, but then you'd be inside the movie, right? But I think trying to trying to remember what the what the problem was with that. 
It was no, it wasn't that. I guess if you did it all in the computer, um, yeah. Okay, sorry. I got I got the idea. So you so the idea of making a movie that's VR, right? The idea that you can just basically present it as a video with a left and right, you know, kind of like the old ViewMaster kind of thing. There's a left and a right, right? But then the problem was that, um, <clears throat> that as you're as you're sitting or standing or however you are positioned in the virtual reality, that as you move your head around and your body around slightly, in the real world, um, the 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 relationship of everything changes, right? And it's always kind of um, subtly shifting the, you know, as, you know, the like right now I'm in my basement and as I've moved my head around, like the objects that are closer obviously move in relation to the objects that are farther a little bit differently and that you couldn't really, the only way to uh, simulate that is to have an entire 3D model of everything uh, in the system. So it's not as simple as just, you know, like the idea is that you could film a movie in, you know, 3D. And they were talking about that, that there was some way of um, filming that could take this into consideration. I, I'm not sure. I can't really remember. But the idea that instead of watching it on a little screen, you'd be inside the movie. Um, and I know that, yes, obviously there's VR games and stuff that do have that feature when you're moving your head around. But it does not solve the, the focal length problem, which is as you're looking around the room, Right, certain things are coming into focus and going out of focus. You might not even notice it, but it's what looking around in the real world feels like. Now, of course, we also have another kind of virtual reality or actual reality. You could go out and into the real world as opposed to watching things on TV. And I think the idea is that is that you know by now we'd have so much free time because of the automation of everything that there'd be so much more incredible stuff in the real world, like create other like people creating experiences for other people in the real world right think like theme parks as a starting point but just imagine huge swaths of space sort of created in themed worlds and walkthrough experiences and rides and theatrical performances and a world where the creativity of of the creation of not virtual reality but actually taking advantage of what you can do in actual reality would be like those experiences would be and the stories you could see there would be so compelling that you wouldn't want to sit around and watch television right you can sort of imagine this as right sort of uh <clears throat> people's ingenuity and creativity they don't have to use it for these working dead-end jobs uh, that, that that could easily more easily be done by a computer but they're creating experiences for other people it's kind of a nice vision we don't have that in our reality right now. This current reality, no, sorry, this current reality is a little things are a little bit different. We still watch a lot of television. Now, my TV watching has really changed. I think you know, I just pretty much watch most things on my computer now. Um, we have a, a TV in our bedroom, but you know, like my wife and I used to watch a lot of stuff together, but now we've kind of drifted apart in our TV viewing time. Though I think the main thing is when we moved into this house three years ago, we did not put a TV on the on the first floor in the living room. And that was kind of there was not really a good place for it. And also I just didn't want to um <clears throat> I just kind of didn't want to have a TV there. We did set up a little TV recently to watch our wedding video 
Um, and I suppose that there, there's a case to be made for having a TV on the first level. But <coughs> in terms of, like, I don't watch TV. I don't really ever watch live television anymore. Um, we, 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 we cut the cord. We, we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have cable. We have YouTube TV, which is, you know, like cable television and expensive like cable television, but not as expensive as cable, you know. I think cable television, the, all those cable companies, they, they burnt their bridges long ago where, you know, taking advantage of people's perceptions of time and money where get your triple play phone, internet, and cable television for only $100 or $99.99 a month. And then, of course, they keep, they just, they, and it's in the agreement that you signed, but like a year or two later, you look at your bill, it's like $295. Like, what? What happened? And they just jacked it up, and you just, you kind of didn't notice. Who wants to who wants to think about such things? What scumbags? And of course, you're paying through the nose these exorbitant rates. And then, if you ever have a problem and call customer service, it is it is pure hell trying to deal with these scumbags. You know, uh, impossible to get. And and then finally, when you talk to a real person after three hours, oh, can you reboot? Can you reboot? Well, I already tried that, you jerk. So as soon as I could jettison those people, obviously you, you need an internet connection, which is usually through the same people. So, you know, I have internet through uh, Verizon Fios. So Verizon, which, I mean, it's like a telephone company. It's, it's sort of, it was a Bell Atlantic merged with GTE and became Verizon. Um, so I have the internet, but I, just got, I have the fiber internet. I pay for the fiber internet and that's it. Everything else is through internet services, you know, so the YouTube TV, the Netflix, the Amazon Prime, all the other ones. Listen, I know we're probably spending more on all these streaming services, plus the internet, plus the YouTube TV, whatever, but at least it's not cable. <laughs> Say, that's what they call a Pyrrhic victory. <laughs> You're spending more, but at least it's not those cable jerks. <clears throat> anyway, um, when it's time for me to watch something, I usually... You know, I only watch stuff selectively because I. The thing is, I don't follow sports, and uh, that would be the main reason to watch live television. That you'd have to watch live, and then watch all those commercials. I'm just not into sports, so that 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 helps. And I also, as a personal rule of mine, I do not watch the news on television. Um, I know so many people that have whatever their news channel of choice on all the time in their house. And it's very brainwashing, a very brainwashy effect, um, whether it be Fox News on the one hand or the CNN or the MSNBC on the other hand. It's just this endless repetition. And it's I understand it, it can be entertaining or soothing or at some point comfortable, almost like a fireplace going. But it's for me, I don't watch that. So that's another reason I don't I don't watch that stuff. So I would only basically watch stuff on demand. And um so that's what my TV viewing has been recently. It's just watching the latest TV shows on demand and then also downloading stuff and, and watching it on my own. I have to say that in terms of downloading stuff and uh, watching it, I fairly recently, within the past couple of months, I discovered a, a free video player on the Windows called Pot Player, P-O-T, Pot Player. That is just fantastic because I had been suffering with these other ones, VLC or... I was trying to find a video viewer 
that I could watch local files. All I want is that it, I can start, I can pick up where I left off, right? And easily switch between full screen and non-full screen mode. Pot player has it all. It's fantastic. Um, so yeah, the, from the downloaded stuff, I just recently uh, finished watching the original TV series, The Prisoner, from 1967 to 68. Wow, that has that that was a revelation in television. Um, I I was very aware of The Prisoner, you know, starring Patrick McGowan. <coughs> I was very I was aware of the show. I knew about the show. I had seen some episodes of the show. But now that I've watched all 17 episodes again over the course of about a month, I would say that if I had to guess, I probably only saw two or three episodes of it before. Oh, my God. What an incredible series. And the uh, the, the, the sequence at the end. Uh, and there is some question as to the proper sequence to watch the show in. But, you know, towards the end, having the uh, do not forget, do not forsake me, my darling, which was the low point of the series. And then the Western episode the girl who was death episode and then once upon a time and then fallout oh my god it's like it's it's a tv roller coaster and that final episode i had no idea what i was getting myself into i'm so happy i was able to watch it without any preconceived notions it was bonkers it was amazing it was incredible um so happy that i watched that and that's you know that's what i've been i've been sort of you know just download a series and just watch it you know, on the pot player or whatever. And I also did, I did, did also obtain the, uh, the 2009, uh, prisoner miniseries. And, uh, I'm about halfway through it now. And it's, uh, it's an, it's, a, it's an interesting addendum to the prisoner. Um, I think it's, you know, pretty bad, but it's probably worth watching. Ian McKellen is number two and Jim Caviezel is number, number six. But, the world building they do is much, much less coherent, you know. And really, you can't have the prisoner without Patrick McGowan and his, his sort of defiant anger, you know. I am not a number! I am a free man! Yes. Jim Caviezel just doesn't have it, okay? He doesn't have it. Anyway, um... Also, what I, the previous to that, what I've been watching on Pod Player was uh, Remington Steel, the TV series. I've been rewatching that, and it's a very good show. Um, of course, uh, Pierce Brosnan uh, as as Remington Steel or whatever his name is, and Stephanie Zimbalist as a uh, as a uh, Steph as a uh, Laura Holt. And uh, I used to watch that show back in the eighties. It's a good show. Apparently, they said after, I'm still in the first season. They said after where the plots were a little more. Uh, whodunits and uh, a little more complex. And they say by the second season, they just did more chases and stuff. They got rid of the complex plots because I guess they found that the average the American viewing audience couldn't handle the, the complex plots of whodunit and why did they do it. <coughs> but we'll have to see. Um, interestingly, Pierce Brosnan was in a movie. Actually, I actually went to a movie theater and saw the movie Black Adam uh, a week or two, a couple weeks ago. The DC superhero Black Adam. And uh, Pierce Brosnan from Remington Steel was in it. He played Dr. Fate. And I thought Black Adam was actually quite good as a superhero movie. You know, I I, I do think that... Uh, I, I do question the need for so many superhero movies. Even though I am a comic book and superhero fan, uh, it does seem that, you know, 
it's so it's it's may not be the best use of people's time and energy, but I get it that it's the Marvel thing has somehow become so huge that everyone's trying to get in on the act. And obviously, DC is has always been Marvel's rival company, and uh, you know, Marvel versus DC. Indeed, in our lifetimes, especially yours, Frank. Uh, I'm what seven years older. Uh, what the 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 fiction of Marvel and DC being long-time competitors. Uh, well, I guess for most, because time has now expanded since my entry into being a comic book fan. But before 1962, 1963, uh, what they call Marvel's Golden Age was a few magazines. And yes, Captain America sold pretty well, but... The other Marvel heroes, I don't think Submariner sold very many copies. The Human Torch, the early Golden Age Marvels were not competing on any level sales-wise, I don't think, with DC or the other big companies. I mean, there were other huge... quality comics was probably in certain places as big or bigger than dc but they meant and and other companies came and went and were quite successful and marvel kind of chugged along under uh, martin goodman owned the company that eventually became marvel and they had a million names atlas it's, a lot of them didn't even really have a company name and uh, yeah martin goodman was famous for flooding the market with many many issues in his genre if westerns were popular he'd put out 20 30 westerns a month uh, there was qua- quantity not quality until paper shortages and of course that time in the 50s where the comics code came in and comic book sales probably never really recovered from that it remained a business and now believe me the actual printing of comic books is not really a very profitable business if they weren't making these movies that were making money um i question whether these i mean what probably would have happened is smaller companies would be licensing or would have purchased all these characters and be doing once again a much lower echelon low art thing because that's really what comic books are but that's a whole other discussion for another day i mean i thought it sounds like i want a pot player that sounds like a really really cool object uh to do to check out and uh, yeah i've been using vlc but yeah it's got all kinds of just wonky things that it does that it just don't seem to be necessary and you would think something that is open source that all these people are working on all the time just wouldn't be so assy oh end up the prisoner oh man i probably should watch the whole series again because the last time i watched it was well back in the vhs days and um 
Yeah, it's one of those things that I think I remember and I know I've watched, but when I actually start thinking, I mean, I get some odd visions of Leo McCary and Rover, the big weather balloon ball that bounces around, but I'm, I don't really have substantial memories, per se, of uh, that series, and it is, that that's one of the good ones. Uh, for sure and uh, I just think as I, I really dislike the Marvel movies um, I really don't like them I don't like the writing style DC I think the DC movies are starting to get a little bit better I mean I did not like the portentous I, I did watch like the Justice League Justice League remake Zack Snyder or something that was pretty that was again trying to be more than it is I felt like Black Adam really embraced being a movie that's like a comic book. It's kind of silly and stupid, but they they just focused on uh, having you know like really really cool superhero fights, which I think was really good because you always wonder what is it like when these superheroes fight, you know? Because basically, uh, and the big thing was really Hawkman. They they made a version of Hawkman that was, I know they're trying to make him kind of like an Iron Man type of character, but Hawkman was very much more powerful than I would have thought a Hawkman could be. There was no Hawkwoman, though, in this one. Uh, but Hawkman fighting, fighting Black Adam especially was really good fight sequences. So that was pretty good. Um, and up, once you know, So I have a series of movies that I've been trying to get through. So I have all the James Bond movies, every single one, I, I think, maybe not the most recent one, which I did see the most recent one uh, at work. We, we did a collaboration with uh, 007... So they took us to see. I don't even remember the name of the latest one. It was it, it was not it was not good. It was just you know. I don't know. I don't really like the newer James Bond movies, but I was definitely a big fan of the older ones. And I think I've been watching um, the one with George Lazenby, the On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Started that one. It was interesting because uh, in the opening sequence, uh, there, there was sort of a. a fourth wall breaking scene part where you know George Lazenby took over from Sean Connery and uh he's on the beach and this girl instead of embracing him just 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 drives away he said something like the other fellow never had these kind of problems <laughs> you know and then I I I forget the context in which I watched it but so Pierce Brosnan again we're coming back to Pierce Brosnan it sort of connects all this stuff he he could have been James Bond much earlier uh he is instead of Timothy Dalton taking over for a few movies, it could have been um, Pierce Brosnan, but because of his um, contract with Remington Steele, he was not able to take over the role, and he was kind of angry because obviously being James Bond is more prestigious than being Remington Steele. But eventually, he he did uh, he did become James Bond, and there was I, I don't know if it was a tra- a trailer, it must have been a trailer for one of his first movies. And 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 in the end, he's like, "You are expecting someone else," you know, another fourth wall breaking James Bond moment, addressing the audience. <coughs> yeah, there was an episode of Rick and Morty recently. I, I do watch Rick and Morty. Um, you know, it's it's like one of these TV shows, like like so many of them. You know, they you spend like years with no episodes, and then they they put out a trickle of episodes, like six or eight episodes, and you get to wait a couple more years for more episodes. But they had like a super meta one recently. 
I don't know. This season actually has been better than the past couple seasons of Rick and Morty. And so like the super meta meta Rick episode, whatever it was called. It, there was a few clever moments like someone said, you back to the future ripoffs, you know, all these meta things. And him mentioning how he talks to the, the audience and Morty is just completely unaware that he's in a TV show, but somehow Rick knows he's at some level that he's in a TV show. Uh, you know, like to me, Rick and Morty is not particularly. Wor- I mean, I, it's it's OK, but I wouldn't I, I think it's it has a good premise and sometimes it's clever. But overall, it's just something I wouldn't necessarily recommend if unless you're really into that kind of stuff. And I think another thing that was was it on Adult Swim? I actually, <laughs> uh, I don't know, a few months ago, I went through a Tim and Eric show, Great Job uh, Phase. And I watched part of the series, Tim and Eric's uh, awesome show. It was pretty good. I mean, it's, it's sort of uh, interesting in that I think at the time it started, which was, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, it was sort of defined millennial meta humor um, at some level. And I watched their movie too. Tim and Eric, was it Tim and Eric's awesome movie? Great job. I don't know. But it's sort of just uh, a kind of, you know, these generations, Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z, it was kind of like uh, the high point of perhaps of uh, millennial, like, um, ex- like surreal humor, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know, I sort of fell off watching the series. But that was kind of, I think I, I might like to get back to that at some point. The Tim and Eric awesome show, great job. Um, so... Another movie series that I started and I got, you know, I think I watched like 12 or 13 of the movies is the Carry On series, which, of course, whenever it was late last year, early this year. I know Doc Sleeves had been talking about it on the exit ramp and stuff, but I finally found a a torrent that had all the movies. And um, it was an absolute one of my the biggest, you know, revelations ever to um, experience the Carry On films from Britain. Uh, really from almost a complete, just completely fresh. I had no idea about them. An alternate universe of comedy stars. And, uh, you know, I know the movies, they have a reputation as being kind of crude and sexual humor or whatever. But I think the movies are just brilliant. And uh, (coughs) um, I've been trying to tell people about them. People in America have never heard of the Carry On film series. And most people I've talked about have, don't even, when I describe it, they have no interest in watching it. But... The one I, I the one I stopped at, and I don't know why when you're watching a series of things you just stop, but I want to get back to it. Um, Kitty, Mojo just jumped from the window area. Um, it's a black and white one where where, where they're doing like odd jobs. Uh, carry on. Uh, I forget the name of it, but I I do and I, I do intend to get back to the Carry On films because they were just amazing. And uh, another British production that I watch is Doctor Who, which, uh, you know, I started watching Doctor Who back in the 80s when it was on our our public television here in the U.S. Became a huge fan as, uh, I don't know if they really, if the story about Doctor Who, massive popularity in the U.S. in the mid-1980s has really been preserved in any great way, Uh, but it was a massive phenomenon 
In fact, I made my Doctor Who fan film, of course, which you can see on the uh, Tapeland video series. And including the re fairly recently, a couple months ago, I, I released the complete Polarized Worlds, which is the entire footage of all the behind the scenes and everything of us making our Doctor Who fan film in 1985. Of course, Doctor Who was canceled in the late 80s, uh, came back in the mid-90s as a TV movie that wasn't did not get picked up for a series. And then around 2005 came back and has been back ever since. And the rebooted Doctor Who, I think, has had highs and lows. But most recently, with uh, <clears throat> Jodie Whittaker as the first female Doctor. Well, I know Joanna Lumley was one in a... Let's not even worry about it. Uh, <coughs> she was, uh, I think, in a way, miscast. Uh, she did not have... Uh, in my in my view, in terms of the doc, Doctor Who, you have to cast someone that has certain qualities to be doc, to be the Doctor, and they've been very good about that. But she really did not have uh, the qualities. I think um, a better well, there's a couple better examples. I think Olivia Coleman, who was her co-star in Broadchurch, would have made a fantastic Doctor, and uh, Joe Martin, who played the fugitive Doctor. She and she's in the doc, she's in the show as a version of the Doctor. She was fantastic, and she was had m a much better qualities as the Doctor than Jodie Whittaker. And Jodie Whittaker also had to contend with um, very very bad writing and show running. And the showrunner was this guy was his name Chris Chibnall, who uh, I don't think had any business running Doctor Who, and created these all of these other storylines, the Timeless Child, and oh my God, it was horrible but I watched all the episodes it was really painful watching it and uh, you know and I've, and I've also been actually <laughs> also on the pot player I have been uh, re I had downloaded all of uh, the fifth doctors uh, you know Peter Davidson started watching those and you know to me <clears throat> one of the, uh, the qualities of uh, the old doctor who was that it was um the story was played out over like at least four like half hour episodes right so it it had room to it, it it had room to breathe right as a story right there were quiet moments there was more dialogue and you can sort of you, the, the these the settings could kind of seep in and right it was it was very tonal it was like a tone um, was the one I watched recently where they were like in a town and they were in this mansion and there was like a robot. <laughs> I forget which one it was, but it was just uh, it, this this quality of of being kind of feeling like you could stretch out in this in this televisional space, and it wasn't so rushed. I think that one thing about and I would say this in Rick and Morty as well, and the and the newer Doctor Who is they're trying to cram so much narrative so much plot into such a short time it's like blah, 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 like it's just it's hyperactive and it just it just keeps going and going and it's just you know ultimately why you know this is something that's conceived of as a show from the beginning and it was a different way why the hyperactive uh, uh cramming so much into so short a time it's just annoying you know um that's something that the, the the newer show has lost. That it's it's just fast paced and just annoying. 
and uh, yeah, they did. So Jody's out. She regenerated and uh, back into uh, <laughs> David Tennant, the Tenth Doctor, for some reason. But I mean, her era was, and she got better as time went on because I think that, you know, I've said this before. You know, the Doctor as a character is hundred and now over a thousand years old, and very old and very kind of sad and lonely and forlorn and wistful and uh you know so that's why actors that have that kind of in a way wistful quality but also sort of like thousand yard stare of having gone through so much i mean after fighting the daleks about eight thousand times you, you you'd have a thousand yard stare too um right uh so i think her ordeal being the doctor and being so criticized in, in the first season for example really it's not being good as the doctor because she was not i think that her going through this difficult life experience actually made her a better doctor because she went through hell from the fans you know but um <clears throat> somehow the next doctor whose name is shuti gatwa it's n-c-u-t-i uh I get, you know, he's he's a black guy, so he's going to be the first black doctor. Well, actually, not the first black doctor, because Joe Martin, the fugitive doctor, is also black. But he does seem... I've never seen him on a TV show, but he does seem born for the role. And he does seem to have that doctor quality, which I'm very happy about. And also, they brought back... Uh, what's his name? As the showrunner. Uh, I can't remember his name at the moment. But anyway, um, so I'm hopeful that with, an, with well, a guy that ran the show when it came back in 2005 and did a fairly decent job and a, a promising actor playing the doctor. I'm hopeful. And then also they have um, the new companion. I forget her name, but she's sort of a, an attractive young blonde woman. And that's uh, always better. Like, well, that's what happened. That, that's what with the Rose, the first episode when they came back, Rose, an attractive uh, young blonde woman um, as, as a companion. Which always seems, which always seems to work better. <laughs> so they're already, and I know, I know, I don't know. I don't, you never know when. It's like years between these episodes. Like it's going to be like I don't know if it's going to be if he's going to even be the Doctor Shooty Gatwa in like 2023 or 2024. I don't know. But anyway, you know, uh, I'm I'm hoping it'll be better. Uh, other stuff I've been watching, uh, of course. I'm a Star Wars fan and I have always have to watch all the live action Star Wars TV shows. When since Disney took over Star Wars, the movies have been terrible. I mean, I would say that Force Awakens and um Rogue One and Han and Solo were not as bad as the other ones. I mean, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker were dreadful. And then the TV shows, The Mandalorian, I found to be particularly annoying, horrible. <coughs> Did not like it. I watched it. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi was maybe a little bit better, but really kind of crap. <coughs> and Boba Fett was the worst. The worst of the worst TV series, Boba Fett. Um, ruining the one of the greatest characters of all time, Boba Fett. They just ruined, ruined it. Ruined him. But there was a Star Wars miracle this series called Andor, A-N-D-O-R, came out. It was a prequel to a prequel. <laughs> it was uh, the character Cassian Andor from <coughs> Rogue One, which was a prequel to 
Star Wars, the original Star Wars movie, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope from 1977, though it wasn't called that when it first came out. I think in the re-release they added that. I think in 80 they added that uh, to the crawl, Episode Four: A New Hope. So then this series is a prequel to the movie that's a prequel to about this guy, Cassian Andor. And I think me and everyone else were, were like, what? Why? Who cares? Who cares about this character? I saw Rogue One. I don't care about Andor. The hell? So I started watching this show. And the first couple episodes, all right, it's a little different. It's a little good. And this show got so good. It is amazing. It's a really, really good Star Wars TV show. I can't believe they actually achieved it. And there's going to be a second season. They actually, it's so good. And there's a lot of Coruscant and Mon Mothma's like a major character. Oh my God, it's so great. Really, <laughs> I really, I really loved Andor. It was like 12 episodes. So, uh, that one I would recommend. I wouldn't recommend watching any of the other uh, Star Wars TV shows, in my opinion. Andor is the best Star Wars since the prequels. I mean, really. I do like the prequels, of course, and I, I do still watch the prequels from time to time. I've, I've been meaning to. I do have a someone edited together all of the deleted footage from Phantom Menace into one big movie, and I just love. It was like three or four hours long. I just I love Phantom Menace now. Could be because you know it's it has a, it has a solid story, but and great characters and settings. It's just the downfall is. The, uh, um, the the directing and the dialogue is pretty bad. and But it's so bad it's good in a lot of ways, whereas the Disney movies are just so bad they're bad, right? But Phantom Menace and the, and the rest of the prequels are very likable movies, and they do bear... They do age well, and they do bear multiple uh, viewings. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that, I may watch that one soon, too. Then, of course, another huge franchise lord of the rings of course uh oh my stomach is rumbling <laughs> grumbling <laughs> growling whatever that word is i need food badly no not badly i was i was quoting uh gauntlet the video game elf needs food badly talking about elves yeah uh amazon.com bought the rights to make uh some kind of Lord of the Rings TV show. and uh, But they were not able to get the rights to the Silmarillion or any of the other older books. Somehow, even with their hundreds of millions of dollars they were throwing around, they weren't able to get it. So they just got the rights to uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And then they had free reign to choose what they wanted to uh, make a story about. So they, they set the story thousands of years before the events of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. In a TV show called The Rings of Power, which was many years in the making, I watched that whole thing, and uh, you know, and I don't know that their strategy was bad, but the end result was bad, in my opinion. I mean, I watched the whole thing; it had its moments. It was not terrible, but I would have to say it was a failure ultimately. Um, it just. Uh, it was very ambitious, but it just didn't have any like good characters really. All the characters were just like unlikable and yeah. Anyway, that that was like a big failure. And around the same time, 
HBO brought back Game of Thrones with House of the Dragon. And uh, kind of similar to Andor, it was a show that, I mean, I, I watched all of the Game of Thrones and I liked it, but I, you know, I never read the books. And when I was done with it, I'm like, I'm done. I don't, I don't need any more Game of Thrones. I've had enough of this. House of the Dragon came on. I, I, I watched the first few episodes and just like Andor, this is a show that I didn't have much expectations for. It just got better and better and better. I really recommend House of the Dragon season one. It was fantastic. And a former doctor, Matt, Matt Smith, was in it as well. And he actually was very good in his role uh, as uh, one of the one of the king prince type people. Prince type people. Um, that show was very good. Very good. Like uh, fantastic. Like a, a, as good or better than any, any of the Game of Thrones seasons. So that was a great uh, surprise recently. <clears throat> and of course, uh, a show that just finished up on Amazon is uh, The Peripheral. First season, only eight episodes. I thought it was a really, really, really good show. Really good show. Um, I was so impressed after the first few episodes. And I would say that like, as the show went on, it I don't want to say it got bad, but I would say it... <sighs> how to how to put it? It it basically it stayed good, but I felt like that initial thrill kind of wore off, and um, it went from being very good to just good. Let's put it that way, in my opinion. But it's well worth watching. I think it's a great show based on a novel by William Gibson. You know, the neuromancer, cyberpunk guy. Um, an interesting little twist towards the end. Uh, very mind-bending show. It's uh, well, it's about one of my favorite thing: alternate timelines, alternate you know, alternate realities and things. Not exactly, but kind of anyway. And uh, Disney brought back another Lucasfilm property. They make they made a TV show out of Willow, the, the movie from the eighties. Remember the fantasy movie with Val Kilmer, right? Um, and Warwick Davis as Willow. He had played one of the Ewoks as well. He was a little, he's a little person. And uh, so it was, I actually watched that. I watched Willow, what, about a year ago. I know I talked about it on the show, on my show, The Overnight Escape. But um, I thought it wasn't terrible as a movie. Um, what else did I, I also watched Crawl fairly recently. It was kind of in the same vein. There were a lot of those like tier two fantasy movies in the, uh, in the eighties. Um, but Willow, I think, was it. It came out at a time, if you recall, um, the Empire. Oh, sorry, the Return of the Jedi, the third Star Wars movie, came out in '83, and then, you know, I think all of us Star Wars fans were like, they, he was making a movie every three years. So, so it was like, so in '86, like, why don't you release another Star Wars movie? But Lucas became like. He he kept saying he doesn't want to make any more Star Wars movies, but why not? That's his big thing. So he makes this freaking Willow, okay, which was not great. You know, it was okay, but it was not a great movie. Um, and uh, it was disappointing because the guy didn't make more another Star Wars movie till 1999. So that's a pretty big gap from 83 to 99. I guess not that long. It was just what uh, 16 years. It seems like 83 and 99 are like so far apart, but they're only 16 years apart. <coughs> anyway, they seem like worlds apart. So why would they bring back Willow? Um, but they brought back as, as many actresses as they could. The woman that played 
Sorsha. She's in it, and uh, Warwick Davis is in it, and Val Kilmer wanted to be in it to replay, reprise his role as Mad Mardigan, but he's had uh, like throat cancer and a lot of health issues, and um, I guess because of COVID, he said he didn't feel like he could be part of the filming. It was too dangerous to his health. My brother keeps telling me about this movie on one of the streaming services called Val, and Val Kilmer had a video camera real early in the 80s and was just constantly filming everywhere he went because he was a big movie star back then. So, and now he just, you know, he has throat cancer and stuff. But anyway, I mean, so the new series is just, whatever, 20, it's a sort of the same number of years later. Um, and, uh, you know, Alora Dannon, she was this baby who was sort of like the Messiah or something. So she's in it, you know, there's only two episodes out, but Alora Dannon, <coughs> you know, like, it's sort of like a, they try to trick you, like, who was actually Alora Dannon, you know. But you eventually find out who Alora Dannon is. And <coughs> I think Warwick Davis's daughter, his real-life daughter is in it as his, as Willow's daughter. But she may have been the one that found Alora Dannon in the river. I'm not sure if she was the original one. But um, I would say that this TV show, uh, uh, it just, it suffers from feeling kind of, the whole thing feeling kind of pointless and you know they're saying the evil lord is going to come destroy everything and the characters are so annoying like i hope the evil lord wins it just kills all these people they're annoying as hell um but there's also a lot of really bad acting in this not just from i mean warwick davis i don't think whoever was a was really a good actor he's bad there's really bad acting which i think partially you can blame on the director as well as they're filming it, um, because even like the the like even like the younger cast, that obviously you don't have to bring back the person that was there in the eighties and is real old now. Even though Warwick Davis is younger than me, I was I'm always annoyed all these old celebrities that are younger than me. I mean, how could he be? He's like three years younger than me. I would have imagined he would be like so much older than me. Anyway, even freshly cast roles, um, the acting is pretty bad. And that is, like, there's no need to have bad acting. There's so many actors out there that I would imagine that these producers have, have uh, you know, their pick of who they're going to use. So I think you have to, I think, like, just like in the prequels, as we're talking about, you know, we know Ewan McGregor, for example, is a great actor. And his <laughs> acting is really bad in Star Wars. And it's because of a bad director and a bad script writer, you know, there's certain lines that are impossible to say the best actor can't even do it. And, um, Liam Neeson as well, perhaps an even better actor struggled with this star Wars, uh, this, the, the, and cause Lucas wrote and directed that, the, those prequels. And that was the, that was the part that was the worst. And he even struggled, uh, with, with his lines. And I think, I don't. I think from Lucas just didn't even care. He would just do one or two takes. Okay, it's good. And I think a better director would have kept going until he got the right take. Anyway, yeah. So uh, maybe I'll keep watching Willow, but it's just <laughs> it was felt very similar to the Dark Crystal TV series, which I I was a fan of Dark Crystal when it came out. In fact, when I went to that puppet museum in um, Atlanta, 
they had a bunch of dark crystal puppets that really impressive to see. It was a very important movie to us growing up, but I couldn't get past the first like 15 minutes of the the remake. It just was so bad, you know. So Willow felt like Willow got a little bit better. The beginning of it was insufferable. It got a little bit better, but you know, it's just like sort of weird how they're kind of you know, the whole Alora Dannon thing, but <laughs> why they call her Alora Dannon? It's like Dannon yogurt. She's like the savior of of, of the dairy world, Alora Dannon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much stuff to watch. Could we ever have a world where we don't have to watch so much TV? <laughs> Could we just go out in the real world? Could the real world be more accommodating to our entertainment needs? I'm sure in another timeline it is, but in this one, we're going to still sit in front of the boob tube as couch potatoes for many more years. Back to you, PQ. That's entertainment. Oh, man. Will the world ever change? I'm sure. And I want the best of both worlds. I want really serviceable ways of being outside in that environment and able to absorb my entertainium at in in that environment not well this studio let me tell you oh boy the the nicho legatura institute is a a unique space that is ever-changing but uh we've shifted a few things around and uh it's actually a little bit more accommodating and uh, it's it has the illusion of more spaciousness, which which is key in these times. And just poor Val Kilmer there, as far as all that. But uh, overall, this, this this was good. This was fun, um, and I think we really got. Uh, uh, to, I got a list here of good things to potentially watch. Oh, I, I, I as far as things to watch, I, nothing Pinocchio. Uh, I I even tried the Del Toro. Who is this Del Toro guy? He has this series that's fair to middling on Netflix. His name is tossed around like he's some sort of brilliant genius. And his physical presence on film, uh, his charisma, he's like this schlubby dude. And it's... This somebody, please send me a message. Send me a segment. I'll uh, please. What I I don't want to look him up. I don't know of anything he's done that I should know. I'm sure there is because, well, I guess nowadays, who knows? I just what has he ever? I saw his Pinocchio, and yeah, I will give you that it really, in a certain way, has that nice 70s Rankin-Bass TV special feel. But, dear Lord, what is with the music that they put in the, the songs? Oh, my God. Even if... It's hard for me to even judge these things like this uh, why do we hark back to this 1940s 50s show tune thing for children's programs do children does anybody like that kind of 
Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I, I, I know. I know. I, I get myself all just shaken up. It's almost triggered. Not quite, but I, that I, I liked the animation, and like I say. My, my nostalgia bone was tickled, but it really seemed to drag on and on to a certain degree. Uh, it was more like, let, let me, uh, far better, if, you, if you're going to watch a Pinocchio, but, and you're looking at the Disney one, or this, the Del Toro, watch the Del Toro one. And it has its moments, I just can't, above average, that's where we're going to leave that. I mean, I'm not going to throw it under the uh, bridge altogether. But every time somebody, something happens, and somebody has to sing another s- stupid song. Oh. So, here we are. And uh, it is time. It is time to encourage you perhaps, to join us for the next Overnightscape Central. Not just listening. No, 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 no. Uh, perhaps you have some things to, uh, that you watch that you'd like to talk about, or the topic, it's, uh, we're going to keep it real. It, we're going to have some holidays here, and some holidays. Uh, I hope these are some holidays. We all could use them. Uh, but just fun stuff and talking about holidays and memories and uh, anything else that tickles your fancy, so to speak, is fair game for next week's Overnightscape Central. Uh, Let's just have a big, warm, fun time together. And uh, please, you're invited. Bring a friend. Bring a few friends. And um, we'll all reconnoiter here. Here's how it works now. Um, the deadline for submissions for when we do this the next time will be the uh, 19th of, well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not even thinking straight anymore. Next Tuesday, December 20th, or even early on the 21st, which is Wednesday, 2022, uh, is the deadline. The email address for you to send either a recording a link to a recording, or if you're mic shy, don't feel like talking, you type something up, I'll read it on your behalf. The email address being kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Once more, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And you can also send correspondence there or what have you. That uh, It's an easy place to reach old, cranky PQ River for sure. And, uh, yep, I, I did, they we're going to have uh, just the holiday. It, it's, 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 it's the holiday episode of the Overnightscape Central. And I don't care what you celebrate. Um, that, that one thing that I do that annoys people, regardless of anything, I am not observant. I don't even think I qualify as Christian per se. But December twenty fifth is Christmas. I look at the calendar. It's what's I, I and I celebrate it. It's 
I don't necessarily have to be religious to do that, I don't think. But uh, yeah, this will be the Christmas episode uh, because it's, and then we'll start worrying about 2023. Oh, goodness. So, uh, yeah, I, I must thank uh, the Doc and Dave and Chad and Frank for this one. This was fun and uh, enlightening and informational and all that good stuff. And there with the entertaining factor. Oh, man, it was right up there. So uh, I'm now I'm just driveling. So do, do consider participating next week. I cordially invite you and... Uh, It'll be fun. And in the meantime, I'm going to let you go and stop this nonsense for once and for all and get this posted. Uh, So uh, together now, let's set the controls for the heart of the fun.